0: Welcome to episode six of Talking EPL with your host Robbie D and my co-hosts Matty and Joey G. Welcome oh, yes. back lads, it's been a couple of weeks. Yep, it's been Good to quiet. be back lads, how are we? Good,
1: it's been quiet. Let's get stuck into today's, uh, well today's but recent fixtures.
0: Yeah, so in today's episode we'll be obviously covering all the results from the weekend and um, We'll be dissecting the Liverpool-Manchester United massacre at Old Trafford. Liverpool winning that game 5-0. And, lads, we call that. We've seen that coming from a mile away. Yeah, um,
1: we really did.
0: And also, we'll be talking a little bit about FIFA 22 because um, a lot of our listeners, I know, are, are playing that game, um, are big FIFA fans, and we'll just be giving our opinions on, on the game and, you know, yeah, Joey, I'll let you cover that part of the podcast. Um, but Maddie, we'll get started with you, mate. We'll get the ball rolling before the results from the weekend and the league ladder, top six in the relegation zone.
2: Yeah, well, uh, let's get stuck in. So we go to the Emirates Stadium on uh, Friday night or Saturday morning, our time. It was Arsenal 3, Aston Villa 1. Scorers for Arsenal, Thomas Partey scored in the 23rd minute. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang scored just before half-time. And then Emil Smith-Rowe scored in the 56th minute for the Gunners. Whilst for Aston Villa, Jacob Ramsey scored an 82nd-minute goal. Over to Stamford Bridge, Chelsea 7, Norwich City 0. Mason Mount scoring a hat-trick in the 8th minute, the 85th minute with a penalty and second half stoppage time. Callum Hudson-Odoi, Reese James, Ben Chilwell and Max Aarons with the own goal to give Chelsea a 7-0 win to keep them top of the table. Elsewhere, Crystal Palace one, Newcastle one. Um, Christian Benteke scoring for Crystal Palace in the 56th minute, whilst Callum Wilson scored for Newcastle United in the 65th minute. Now, this game was a cracker. Everton versus Watford. Everton 2, Watford 5. Tom Davies and Rashalison scoring for the Toffees. Whilst for Watford, Josh King netting a hat-trick. Um, Juraj Kukka, I think that's how you say it, scored in the 78th minute, and Emmanuel Dennis capping off the win in second-half stoppage time for the Hornets. Uh, Leeds 1, Wolves 1. Rodrigo scoring a second-half stoppage time penalty for Leeds United, whilst Huang Hee Chan scored in the 10th minute for Wolves. Southampton 2, Burnley 2. Valentino Livermento scoring for Southampton, whilst uh, Amando Borgia scored Southampton's second goal. For Burnley, the scorer was Maxwell Cornet scoring both their goals. Brighton and Hove Albion won Manchester City four. Alexis McAllister scoring a penalty for Brighton and Hove Albion ten minutes from time, whilst the scorer for Manchester City was um, or scorers for Manchester City were. Ilke Gundwan scoring in the 13th minute. Phil Foden scoring in the 28th and 31st minute, whilst Riyad Mahrez scoring in second half stoppage time. Over to Monday morning's games Brentford 1, Leicester 2. Zanka scoring for Brentford in the 60th minute, whilst for uh, Leicester City, Yuri Tielemans scoring in the 14th minute, while James Madison scoring in the 74th minute. West Ham United 1. Spurs nil, Antonio was the scorer for West Ham United in the 72nd minute to give them the win. And finally, the massacre at Old Trafford, Manchester United nil, Liverpool 5, Naby Keita scoring in the 5th minute, Diogo Jota scoring in the 13th minute, whilst Mohamed Salah scoring in the 38th minute, 45th minute and 50th minute to give Liverpool a 5-0 win at Old Trafford. As we go to the table, gents, we've got Chelsea sitting top on 22 points, Liverpool sitting second on 21 points, third uh, Manchester City on 20 points, fourth are West Ham United on 17 points, fifth Brighton Hove Albion on 15 points, and sixth uh, Tottenham Hotspur, also on 15 points. A goal difference separating Brighton Hove Albion and Tottenham there. As we go to the relegation zone, 18th, uh, Burnley. They are sitting on four points. 19th, and Newcastle also on four points with goal difference separating Burnley and Newcastle. And finally, down the bottom, it's it's lonely down there for this team, Norwich City sitting on two points and might I add a negative 21 goal difference. And that's your roundup for the week, gents. What do we make of it?
0: Some interesting results. Um, The one that caught my eye the most was... um... Watford's 5-2 away win at Goodison Park against Everton. Obviously, Claudio Ranieri's, um, you know, his first win as manager. He was there last week against Liverpool and Liverpool dismantled Watford. Tough game for Ranieri to come into. But in a space of seven days, he's obviously, you know, got him on the training track and Put his um, philosophy in place and it looks like it's um, paid dividends. They've they rolled, evident. Oh, no one would have expected that result. Oh, no, I know. I was actually,
2: I was up watching that game and I can tell you that Everton looked as though they were in complete control of the game up until the last 15 minutes. And then a, a switch just flicked and Watford went crazy. The, uh, Josh King just went ham on the goals. Um, you know, Everton had a couple of chances there towards the end to equalise, but Benny Foster was solid. It, it was just a good win for Watford. You know, it's something that not many people saw coming. I thought Everton would lock it up, you know, consolidate the result. It was theirs. And then, I don't know, they just clicked another gear and walked away with the points. So massive win in terms of Watford's season, in terms of them trying to fight off relegation.
1: If there's one yeah, thing yeah, I've yeah, got to um, say about what? Watford is Watford do have the quality to stay up in the league you know I've said this many times on the show Emmanuel Dennis is always one to watch for them because he's a you know he's a he's a good young goal scorer and I feel that with more with more time with more starts or even more prints off the bench whatever Claudio Ranieri decides I feel Dennis might be another one to watch I've said this many many a time now and Josh King had a point to prove against Everton considering uh he had a very turbulent spell whilst he was there, I think, the year before. And I'm glad that he's uh, more confident now with a club like Watford. And they're giving him his chance to thrive in the Premier League because he, he is a good enough player. Now it's a matter of him putting uh, Claudio
0: Ranieri's faith in and uh, putting, it to, putting it to good use. Also, another, another result, um, another massive result for Arsenal, winning 3-1 at home against Aston Villa. Arsenal um, had a really bad start to the season, as we both know. Um, You know, their first three games, they'd lost their first three games of the season. Arteta was under pressure. But I said it in the start I said, Arsenal is not as bad as people make them out to be because those first three games of the season, um, they didn't have Tomiyasu. They didn't have Gabriel and um, Ramsdale wasn't in goals. So that's three players that weren't available <clears throat> um, out of your so called back five. Your back four, if your goalkeeper included. And obviously, you throw Ben White and, and Kieran Pini in there as well. Um, and then on the other side of the pitch, you know, against Brentford in round one, there was no Bamiang no Lacazette. <clears throat> so they didn't have a lot of players that are in their starting 11 now that have been a massive part of this eight game unbeaten run that they're on That's including all competitions. And mind you, in those eight games, they've got five clean sheets. They are on 14 points now, Arsenal, and they are on equal points with Man United. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, are, I, believe, they are. I believe Arsenal, um they've recruited really well. They've they've brought in players like Ramsdale, Ben White, Tomiyasu, uh Lekonga. um what was that left back's name? Tavares? Tavares. Yeah, Tavares, right? He he played on the uh, he played on uh, left back because teeny was injured, he had a blinder. Now If you're growing a team together, they're a good group of players to grow together with. You know, like Arsenal, if Arsenal finishes in the top eight this season and gets a Europa League spot, I think they've done well. Maybe win a cup competition, possibly. But I'll tell you what, if they keep the team fit, there's no reason why they can't challenge for the top four either. Because I believe that Arsenal's got that backbone now. They know how to grind results out. They've got quality in that front third, you know, in um, Abamyang, Lacazette, uh, Saka, Smith Rowe, who we're all yeah, you got Smith
2: Rowe, you you got Smith Rowe in behind as well, and in my opinion, he's been their best player, you know, a big part of this resurgence, this somewhat resurgence that they've had. But then again, people writing them off too early, and as you said, Robbie, there was a lot of quality that was out of that squad in the first couple of games. You know, I don't think, yeah, I don't think we dominate them. With half of those players mentioned, if they were playing, you know,
0: 100. percent And Odegaard was another one that I forgot to mention. Who's another player that they've obviously they've brought in permanently now. So, you know, going through those players like Ramsdale, Tomiyasu, Ben White, uh, Lacunga, Tavares, uh, Od- Odegaard. Then you've got Saka there. That's obviously that was already at the club. Um, Smith Rowe. <laughs> great bunch of young players coming through. Like, what I'll be looking at now, if I was at Arteta, is obviously Lacazette and Aubameyang are, you know, in their 30, early 30s now. So, that's probably an area now they need to look at. You know, what do they do with Pepe? Pepe is Pepe is um been a, for me, it's, it's been a flop. Um, I know what to do with Pepe. I know exactly what has to do with
2: Pepe. Go on, but, go on.
1: Do you remember how, yeah, when, uh, you remember how um, when Thierry Henry was, I think was at Juventus, and they were using him as a winger and he flopped? I feel that they could use him and play him as a centre-forward.
0: Potentially, but you've got a Bamayang there who has been scoring goals. Yeah, so not true, can't. but why not recreate that uh, that Invincibles
1: era? You know, why not? Why not have a Bergkamp... And an Henri type, huh? Why not have that? I mean, a I to ask you right you. now, I would love to have that kind of partnership going forward because it's dangerous, it's lethal, and you can give teams plenty of problems. To me, right, I don't think Arteta is the right coach for guys like Nicolas Pepe. I don't think he is because he's got his favourites and he doesn't care about anyone else. Case in point proved, proved with Martinelli if he really liked Martinelli, then why isn't he starting every week? Like Martinelli's makes- another
0: one I forgot to mention, by the way. Here's another one I forgot to mention. Um, Makeda, the striker. Yeah, he scored in the Carabao Cup um, midweek. Um, they got a lot of good young players at the club, but he, Arteta actually did something against Aston Villa that I've been calling for for weeks, and that was start Lacazette. As a number nine and play a out wide and pay dividends.
1: It did because it allows, like I've said, for him to lock the ball in for a to run inside the channels. A isn't the kind of player that holds a ball up. He needs to run inside those spaces, give the fullbacks grief, and score the goals. I mean, he's not—he's not a hold-up player. You know what I mean? He's never has been a hold-up player. He never will be a hold-up player. And. If they if they don't renew Lacazette's contract, I'm gonna be very angry at that because I just feel that Lacazette is a very important and integral member of that team. And if not, I they can Pep. and if not, if not, they can play Pepe there because Pepe can play as a nine, right? And I feel Pepe's not a winner that runs mm-hmm. at people. Kind of <clears> like in the bombing, you know, he needs to he needs to be able to make those runs inside space and finish the shots off. Nothing more nothing less. If I'm a fullback playing against Nicolas Pepe, I'm not scared to play against him because he's, a, he's, what, he's what I would call a straight line runner. And straight line runners are good for one thing and one thing only, playing up front, giving closing, closing stuff down,
0: all the usual stuff. What about Smith Rowe? <clears throat> now, I saw something the other day about comparing him to Jack Grealish when Grealish was 20 years old because I think that's how old Smith Rowe is. Um, I think Smith Rowe could be, <clears throat> become an Arsenal legend. I think he's got all the attributes, plays with his heart on his sleeve <clears throat> and he's already making an impact. Um, I think Wolves will we'll know a lot about Arsenal this weekend because they kick off the next round away to Leicester City. Massive game. I believe Arsenal's got what it takes to... So not only get a result, I believe they can win that game. Um, and yeah. I think if Arsenal turn around and beat Leicester at Leicester, start, you're going to have to start talking about Arsenal potentially um, challenging for the, not only Europa League, but potentially for top four. Because unless, you know, they get injuries, I believe Arsenal's best 11 is uh, at, at minimum a top six team, a top six team. Um, that's minus injuries, but once they get those injuries like you saw earlier in the season, um, then obviously that's a different story. Now, that's the difference between them and your Manchester Uniteds and your Liverpools and your Chelsea's and your Man Cities, and to a certain extent Tottenham. Um, but, yeah, uh, you can't fault them at the moment. You know, they're a little bit inconsistent in, in terms of, like... They've, they've put in big performances against Tottenham winning 3-1 and beating Aston Villa 3-1. But then they went to Burnley and they grinded out a 1-0 away win. Then they went to Brighton, got a 0-0 draw, which Brighton is not an easy place to go to. So, and in between that, they've had the Carabao Cup where they've, you know, Arteta's rotated the squad and a lot of the fringe players, you know, they beat Leeds 2-0 midweek. Um, your mob, Joey. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm expecting... Uh, the Arsenal resurgence to continue but anyway let's skip down to the feature game of, of the round which was Manchester United versus Liverpool Manchester United z- nil, Liverpool 5 we saw this coming from a mile away Joey I'll let you start this off alright and then I'm going to talk about what w- went wrong tactically for Manchester United and the reasons why um boys no, what I've said from, do you know what I've said from the start? I've
1: said from the start that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has built his defence around Rafael Varane. Now, it's a blessing and the curse. A blessing because it allows Manchester United to have two different types of centre-backs. One that's a bit more mobile and can keep up with, you know, those 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 uh, those attackers like your Mohamed Salahs, your Mane's, and... Now that he's gone down, and it's a curse because once he goes down injured, you have to play Lindelof. And can Lindelof keep up with that with those kind of players? I don't think he can. And when you've built a defense around him, the flow of the team goes. And once you lose that team flow, you're screwed. And United learned that the hard way, and they learned that the hard way because you look at Varane. Moran is a very prominent figure now in this United defence. Not only costing them 40 million is a blessing, but at the same time, I feel that United without him are going to get a bo- a- a- annihilated. They're going to get annihilated. I don't care what any United fans got to say about that. He he he's, he's built. Sorry, your team's defence is built around him, and if he goes, you go right down the crapper. And the other day I was reading that um, they're going to give Solskjaer three three games to sort of fix the team's form. I don't feel that Varane's going to be back in time to sort of, you know, fix the problems that are there. I feel that is going to be gone. That's how I feel. That's what I think. And I just think that without Varane, they've got no defence. They're absolutely well, right. We, we,
2: we discussed their fixtures, their upcoming fixtures, right? And now that they've said Solskjaer's got three games to sort this out, I don't think this run of fixtures is going to help him at all. And from what I saw on Sunday night or Monday morning, you know, the fact that they just weren't there. They weren't there mentally, they weren't there tactically, they just weren't there at all. Um, most Salah, they, they gave most Salah, acres of space just to run around and do his thing you know it was nothing if, if you're a United fan you would genuinely feel embarrassed by that performance you've just been painted by one of your biggest rivals at home you know that's embarrassing
0: yeah, that's well, embarrassing I
2: mean, I'm sure a lot of United fans would have expected better than to go out there I said this to a friend of mine on Friday night um, when I went for a drink with him that Liverpool could potentially decimate you at your home ground and that is exactly what they went and done.
1: Can I tell you I'll why? Tell you I'll tell you something, right? Varane, they've built that whole defense around Varane. And now that he's injured, they are screwed. Because he is their organization. You know? And when you have two center backs, you've got to have that center back that's quick. And you've got to have that center back that's not necessarily slow. But the one that does the a dirty solid. work. Yeah, solid. Yeah, that's the dirty work. Yeah. Yeah, and... Now that United have lost their quick, powerful centre-back in Rafael Varane, I tell you now, boys, they are in trouble without him. If he goes down, that defence, I'll tell you now, before you get started, Doska, that defence goes right down the toilet and their year goes down the toilet. I don't care what anyone's well, no, about there's it. There's no
2: plan B. There's, there's no, no
1: plan B. You, I'll tell you. There's nothing. There's nothing without Varane. That's all I'm going to say from here.
0: I'll tell you something, Right. I'll go through uh, Manchester United starting eleven that started against Liverpool. So obviously you had the in goals, one Bissaka right back, Lindelof, Maguire, and Luke Shaw, which made up the back four. He Ole then decided to start Fred and as your two holding midfielders. Fernandez played as a number ten, and then in the front three he had. Rashford out on the left, Ronaldo as a number nine, and Greenwood out on the right. Now, Joey, you hit the nail on the head. Varane is the backbone of that back four, right? But the fence starts from attack. Now, tactically, this is where it all went wrong for Man United. First of all, their press was out of whack, out of sequence. When you press, you must press as a unit, When one goes, everyone goes. Once one goes and another player goes, if the third player doesn't go and the fourth player doesn't go, that's where the Mm gaps appear. And that's where world-class teams like Liverpool will pick you apart. So what was happening was that press was out of sequence, which just left the Liverpool midfield, um, the Hendersons and the Caters, And the Milners, even James Milner at 35 years old, was pulling the strings in the midfield. You know what I mean? Um, You know, you you put those three players, um, you know, head to head with individual quality against Manchester United's midfield in Bruno Fernandes. And say Pogba didn't even start that game, which is just madness. Um, Don't get me started on that topic. But player by player... Manchester United probably has a better team individually, individual players. But Liverpool is just a better team because they're well-coached, they're well-drilled. Klopp's got them playing to a system. And the fact that that press was out of sequence allowed the Liverpool midfield to pick their passes and run through, um, you know, the run through the Manchester United lines and get players like Salah, Jota and Firmino in the game so they could damage. Also, another problem was Rashford and Greenwood weren't tracking back, right? Anyone that knows in a 4-2-3-1 system, your two attacking wide players must track back, must tuck in. reasons are they must make... Your um, defensive structure, very compact. Because if you allow your front three to sit up top, right, that means you're leaving your left back and your right back isolated, right? Liverpool, you know, with Arnold and Robinson, their biggest strength is Dale Klopp likes his left back and right back to bomb on and create overloads out wide. So... What was happening was um, they, by Ra- by Rashford and Greenwood not tracking back, it isolated Luke Shaw, isolated Wambasaka, and then, obviously as defensive midfielders, Fred and McTominay had to tuck in laterally to, su- to give support to Luke Shaw, give support to, to Wambasaka, which then created massive holes in the midfield, right? So, Your whole structure is out of whack right now because obviously because Greenwood and um, Rashford weren't tracking back. So easy fix. You get Rashford and Greenwood to track back, tell them it's not even a fucking – sorry, it's not not even a fucking um, argument. When we lose the ball, you need to be here. You need to tuck in. You need to tuck in, right, and make – Harder for Liverpool to break you down. And then obviously, Manchester United is more of a counter-attacking team. They're most dangerous when they're counter-attacking. But I felt there was no forward pressure, non-existent. Ronaldo, as much as I love him, right? And Ronaldo's going to score you 25 goals, 30 goals. No, not a problem, right? But by Ronaldo being there, and I've spoken about this many times on this podcast, by Ronaldo being in that starting 11 as a number nine, that means you need to accommodate players. You need to play Greenwood out wide on the right when Greenwood's probably best suited to play as a number nine who will probably at this stage offer you a lot more than Ronaldo in terms of work rate, in terms of running in behind, in terms of just being a complete different kettle of fish to what Ronaldo is. And like I said, I'm not knocking Ronaldo. I still believe Ronaldo's in Manchester United's best 11. But what I'm saying is, that having Ronaldo there, it's completely um, unbalanced the Manchester United front free because all of a sudden you've got Greenwood playing on the right instead of playing as a number nine. Sancho obviously didn't – probably a good game for Sancho not to feature in this one because obviously with his price tag and the slow start he's had, but we've said it. Sancho is not a left-sided player. Play Sancho out on the right, right? So if you like a balanced front free, you'd want – Sancho on the right, Greenwood is a number nine, or Ronaldo is a number nine, or um, Rashford on the left. And obviously, um, at the moment, Sancho's out of completely, you know, not in all his plans at the moment, or he hasn't got trust in him yet. Um, And I'm not writing Sancho off just yet. I think maybe under a new manager, you might see him and Van Der Beek. With Van the Beek obviously just rots on the bench every every game you know you might see those two um, come in and and make a huge impact if they get an opportunity but the one that baffled me the most was pogba like pogba had seven assists in his first four games in this in this season in the in the in the, in the premier league right how on earth can you not start paul pogba in a game against Liverpool when you're at home, but you choose to start McCominay and Fred. I on. The game was over. The game was over. It was 4-0. And do you blame him? He was sitting there on the bench thinking, how on earth are Fred and McCombinay starting ahead of me? So he's come on angry, right? And he got a straight red. And you know what? At least he put a tackle in. At least he put a tackle in. Don't get me started on McGuire and Lindelof. Too slow, the two of them, right? Maguire needs a Veran next to him. But the problem was up the pitch. United were so out of sequence and their structure was completely out of whack that Liverpool just had runners coming in like Cater, like Sola, like Jotter, running in behind and having all the space in the world because Greenwood wasn't tracking back. Rashford wasn't tracking back. Um, defensive midfielders in of McTominay were dragged wide. Uh, Centre backs were dragged wide to support Wamba soccer and Shaw. And that's where the damage was done. And you leave a player like Mo Salah unattended, mate, it, it was a massacre. Embarrassing. I was embarrassed for Manchester United. Um, and as a neutral, you know, I wanted to see a good game. But that was... And the fact that they haven't sacked Oli after that, is It's worrying. because I'm scared.
2: shocked. I'm actually shocked that they didn't. I mean, 5-0 at home to Liverpool. Like, I don't... Yeah, I couldn't see him keeping a job after that. But there you go.
1: Well, boys, uh, do you want to know something funny? I was reading an go article on. the other day, right? And apparently, they're giving Ole Gunnar Solskjaer three games to save his job. And you know how I've been saying that Varane is the key to this United defence? Yep, I've been saying it. He's going to be out for a considerable bit of time. I don't think Varane's going to be back in three games, and I feel that Solskjaer is Solskjaer is in deep trouble, and they've given him three games. I just feel that they're now in trouble. It's not going to end well. Up.
0: Matty just said it before. He was talking about the fixture list, and we spoke about because we haven't had a we haven't done a podcast for two weeks now. Yeah. And we spoke I've got about I've their, got their next
2: three. I've got their next three Premier League fixtures right in front of me, boys. And I can tell you, it, it, it not, it's not not—it's not looking pretty for them. They travel on Sunday morning. They travel away to Tottenham. And then next Saturday night, they play at home to Manchester City. And then they've got Watford the week after that. Oh, sorry, two weeks after that because we've got an international break and in early November.
0: They've got Atalanta away. Yeah, Champions
2: and League. as we all know, English sides generally struggle in the Champions League in Italy.
0: But I asked I asked you blokes a question two weeks ago, and I said before this run of fixtures, because we went through those fixtures, and they've already played Leicester away, and they've already played Liverpool at home, and uh, we went through the Tottenham game and the Man City and the upcoming game against Watford, and I said, lads, do you see Manchester United in the title race at the end of these block of games? And we all we all agreed, no,
1: no,
0: yeah, I, I, I stick by that. Points off, eight points off. The pace, right? The times now, you pull the trigger now, you've just been embarrassed by your biggest rival at your home ground, right? Yet, he could turn around and beat Tottenham, right? Because Manchester United still got a lot of quality. Apart from the Leeds game, where they looked really good in round one, playing on the counter-attack, looked organised. Every other game, Man United's won. They've won... From individual quality. And even in the Champions League, the 2 1 wins against Villarreal and Atalanta, and the 3 2 win against Atalanta, like individual quality got them those results. They don't have a system, they don't play to a system. And you don't know what your best 11 is going to look like every every week under Sky. And I, like, what if they turn around and beat Tottenham? Because Tottenham's not travelling all that great themselves. Right? And what if they go to Atalanta or be Atalanta and all of a sudden they give only another six weeks? Your season's over in six weeks if, if results continue the way they are. That's why you don't want to put uh, paper over cracks. You pull the trigger now and you go to Antonio Conte and say, listen, here's your contract. Come across and get us organised, get us structured. And Obviously he's the kind Aconte of manager that would do that. And he's going to win things.
2: Exactly. He's the kind of manager that would sort your entire team out. Remember, this is a guy, Antonio Conte, who took Chelsea from 10th to the title in the space of a season. In fact, early in his tenure too, people were questioning his intent because we were sit- by October of that year, we were sat 8th in the Premier League Hardly won games. We just got pantsed 3-0 away at Arsenal. And people thought, right, what's this guy doing? Yada yada yada. We go on a run of 13, 14 in a row. And the rest is history. So I think Conte would be a good fit for Man United. Because as you said, they'll have a structure. They'll have something to play to. They'll have something to play around. You know, right now, they don't have that. It's all individual quality, as, as you said before.
0: 100%. Um, we're running out of time. We've, we've only got five or six minutes left. Um, we could sit here all day talking about Manchester United. Then,
1: to me Also, I might add,
2: I might add that triple captaining Mo Salah in fantasy team this week was bold, but paid off nicely.
0: Oh, good call! Big call that was, Matty! And mate, what a call it was. I think you would have got seventy-two points out of that. But um, I believe so. Yeah. Obviously. Um, we're not going to, it's too early in the week to be talking about the fixtures, um, upcoming fixtures in the Premier League. So I thought um, we'd talk a little bit about FIFA 22. Joey? Well, what's your thoughts on the game? Um, to be honest,
1: to be honest with you, the goalkeepers, I don't know what they feed those goalkeepers on FIFA 22, but they save absolutely everything. The shots are rigged, right? They don't even work. The only way I can score a goal on FIFA is if I score with the circle button. That is how I can score. Just press circle, nothing else.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah I thought I, I
1: had that same problem.
0: I, I also, we had a chat off air about it. The, I, I believe the levels have gone up. So, you know, on all the other FIFAs, I've had no issue playing on Legendary, on Career mode. I've always contended, in contended, you know, been a title contender. It doesn't matter what league I played in. This legendary mode on FIFA 22 is unplayable, borderline unplayable. Like, what did I tell you the other day to be competitive
2: at it with this legendary mode? Because I, I've, I had my problems on it too with this FIFA. To be competitive on it, you'd at least have to play sixteen hours a day.
0: You can't be doing that. Oh, i have definitely not do that. I struggled. I get. I'll be honest. Per session, I play three or four games, and then I need a break. I can't sit there. Yeah. Um, Especially if I'm losing, I get angry. I get so fucking angry when I lose on FIFA, man. It does my head (laughs) in. Like nothing destroys your ego more than losing a game on FIFA. I'll tell you now. Especially, I'm unbeaten online still since I've been on FIFA 22, which has only been a week. But in even on career mode, when you when you lose, it's yeah, it's 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 crashing. It's crashing. The thing I've about legendary mode is when you like, I find on FIFA 22, like, I don't have an issue. I I'll dominate possession. Obviously, there's the way I play. Yeah. Um, I create chances. I can even score goals. But the problem is defensively, you can't stop them. Like, once they decide, the computer decides, that's it. Fuck you. We're scoring. We're going to score a goal now. You can't get the ball off them. They'll play a 40 meter. Long ball and smack one on the volley first time in a top corner. Although, you have three players surrounding one of their players and they'll dribble past you. It's almost like or, or they're going to then, around them and you can't tackle them.
2: Or even then, like, you'll have three players around the striker. They'll still somehow find a way to shoot the ball out of that three-man wall and score. Do
0: you know what the
1: best part about FIFA ridiculous. is? Ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I'll tell you what. The only player that I can use on FIFA that gives me a lot of just... Happiness to use on the game is Paulo LaGioia Dibala. All right, boys. Debala is a machine. All right. Every time I use Debala on FIFA, he saves my bacon. Like there will be games where I play online with my brother-in-law, right? And I need that last-minute w- winner. He does a lot of things for me. That boy, I, 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 I give him so much. Th- I give him so much pressure and so much to do. I also love using Lautaro Martinez. Don't care what anyone says. He can do everything that boy has as a striker. He can hold the ball. He can, he's very, he can, he can, you know, create chances. He's phenomenal. And I also like Federico Chiesa. If you boys ever get a chance, use him on the game. He is absolutely unreal. Like seriously, you could play him on the left wing, and he just, and he's just exciting to watch. You can use him on the right wing, and he's exciting to watch. I remember one day I was playing against my brother-in-law, right, and um, I needed a goal late on. I don't. Juventus don't have many quick strikers, as we know, right. So what I do is I put him up front. I let Paolo de create a pass for him and he scores me the winner. The guy is, ah, too good, boys. He's too good.
0: No, I'll keep I'll keep him in mind, mate. Um, Before we go, but You Joey- know what?
2: A couple of FIFAs ago, I actually found that, this is before Werner came to Chelsea, but I'd signed him on a Bournemouth career mode. The bloke scored 50-plus goals for me in a season and he was just so quick. Like, every time he got the ball, I knew exactly where he was going to go. I knew exactly what he was going to do. And... It was just the players, so he's another one that I actually didn't mind playing as as one point in time.